This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 18th of September 2018. A podcast about a bunch of Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Jon. Here's my news gathering co-host Dave. Hi Dave. Hello Jon. How's the news gathering? Uh, better, better. <laughs> I feel we are out of the summer quiet period and things are starting to ramp back up again. Yeah, but that being said, actually, I know we, we kind of said that was a slow news days and everything and hard to find good articles, but um, I'm actually going to use articles today, which I had gathered in that area, which I kind of put on the B pile and well, they're actually not that bad. So I guess it wasn't that bad at all, after all. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Well, we'll we'll see how the uh, the trend continues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and of course, the listeners, any complaints, uh, podcast at roaringelfin.org happy to yeah. listen to it yeah and uh, we haven't had any complaints yet so there we go must be doing something right <laughs> either that or or you redirected the email to dev null again hey you put me in charge of all the it department so <laughs> you uh, <clears throat> uh not, you get what you pay for <laughs> <laughs> all righty then <sighs> okay so anyway other things are happening uh, as part of coming out of the the summer yes, quiet period. Yep, and that is events, lots of events going on, and in particular uh, in the APAC world, the DataWorks Summit is coming around, and these are just what uh, one day events. So possibly you could call them more of a road show than a full on summit. Um, but uh, starting October the 11th in Singapore, uh, October 16th in Tokyo, Japan, and uh, November the 9th Australia in Melbourne. Um, so if you're uh, if you're in or near any of those locations, take a look at uh, that. You will once again see uh, the Roaring Elephant podcast up as a, a media sponsor there. So. Mm-hmm. We're very grateful to uh, the HortonWorks team and the DataWorks Summit team of uh, allowing us to be part of this uh, great set of events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll be looking at uh, setting up some interviews around these events. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I'd say uh, keep an eye on this spot. More information should be forthcoming soonish. And yep. if it's not coming soon, then it's going to be too late because it's, quite, uh, it's happening quite uh, yeah, quickly now. Yeah. October's only a couple of weeks away at the time of uh, publishing this. So anybody interested in anybody in that area of the world or want to travel there, I think there are worse places to be. Definitely. It should be good events. Yeah. And that actually is uh, fitting for a news episode because that was news. Future news, news even. Future. Well, well yeah, this well, still needs to happen, pretty. right? Yeah, true. <laughs> the I rest guess. of the articles of things already have been written. <laughs> All right, so oh. let's let's go into them. Yeah. Come and come and come and take my pulse. Uh, well, nah, I mean, <laughs> I know you have that no, do not resuscitate thing, so uh, <laughs> no need to take your pulse. Let's take a pulse of machine learning, and more properly taking the pulse of machine learning adoption. And it's an article on the ZNet or ZDNet, which still don't know how to actually pronounce that. <laughs> it's by Tony Bear. And it's on big data, and it dates from beginning of August. So this is one of my uh, uh, did not have time to deal with them pile from last week. It's not a very long article. It's pretty high level, and it actually talks about a survey that was apparently done by O'Reilly a while ago, where they were looking at uh, in 
in first they looked of how many people are actually doing neural networking, which is kind of the the the, the, the high end, the top end, the high tech, the, the really innovative stuff, and that was pretty well as expected. Not that um, I just saw it's generally available, let's say, generally yeah. used yet. So I did a second one, which uh, talked more about ML, machine learning. Now there is a bit of a discussion going on if machine learning is part of deep learning or the reverse and if it's all AI or not. So I'm not going to go into there, but they kind of segregated deep learning, neural networks, and in this case, machine learning, which you then have to look really to things like regressions, classifications, uh, random forest, things like that. And in tooling, you're pretty much looking at Spark and a bit of R there. Mm-hmm. No, they didn't really look at uh, technology. That's why I'm adding it. <laughs> uh, they were looking at uh, the respondents of the uh, interviewees and they asked, how much of ML are you doing today? And nothing really stood out. They say it's just what you would expect with a little caveat that they uh, are seeing a bias in the results here because these uh, surveys were done at the O'Reilly uh, Summit's data events. And as they rightfully remark here, typical people that go to that kind of events are people that are in the know and will have a higher adoption rate of these kind of things. But still, if you look at their results, then uh, people themselves, uh, half of them, nearly around 50% said they were beginners in the whole ML thing, which kind of surprised me. Because again, because you have people visiting shows like this, which which are in the known, and Spark's been around for what now... 10 years, if you really go to backpack, but at least five years in full production swing, I'd say. Yeah. yeah it surprised me that, that so many people are still in the as a beginner. And then had like uh, 36% that consider themselves early adopters, which means they had about two years of ML experience. And then sophisticated organizations, at least five-year experience. Hey, that's where I got the five years from. <laughs> uh, we're yeah. 15%. So I, I agree with them that they have a biased result. But due to that bias, I'm kind of surprised how low the numbers are. Because if I look at what I'm doing in this space at the moment, everybody I'm talking to, which is doing big data, is doing it in some kind of advanced analytics mindset. And yeah, simple machine learning is so easy to get into at the moment that uh, it really surprised me that the numbers were so low. Do you think it's... They don't seem to mention... Uh, a, a sort of a geographical focus. It's, it's no, not clear mention. whether it was a US audience or global audience or quite what. Well, there is a there are links back to the O'Reilly original article, and I jumped through a couple of uh, link chains, but still couldn't get uh, that that information, so I kind of gave up. Uh, I am assuming yeah. this is pretty much US base uh, biased as well. I think. Yeah. Which again is. The inverse of what this, it still means it's even less than it should be, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. the US was the earliest adopters, right? You can say whatever you want, yeah. but Europe has been lagging behind definitely at the beginning. I'm pretty sure, I would say we're, we're catching up, at least catching up, maybe even at yeah. equivalency at the moment, even some kind of here and there, some outliers that are peaking. But um, yeah, if you're looking at five years of experience, the US will have a head start on that. That, uh, that should be expected. So yeah, I think yeah, fifteen percent only. That's that's not a lot. Now, a second part of the article, and that's where I have my most. That's what I want to talk about most. Actually, is how they are looking at 
this. Now, I'm looking through the article, and this is good radio, uh, listeners, if you can follow <laughs> along with me. I've done a lot of marking with coloring and stuff like that. So, <laughs> um, oh, hang on, before I go into the depth of what I was talking, I want to talk about a little uh, rectification here. Because the next part of the article, they're talking about the prevalence of job titles that were available, that were coming up in those uh, survey results. And yeah, of course, 75%, uh, sorry, 57% uh, named, called themselves data scientist, which was the most common job title, which is natural because yeah. that's also the one that's been around the longest. Uh, business analysts and data analysts had 51%, which means that business is really encroaching on our nerd territory. <laughs> Pretty much. And then trailing the data engineer at 39%, which I think for a job title that's been around for, what, a year, maybe a year and a half? Because I remember that we had um, Marcel Jan on, uh, that was kind of the time when this job title came up, and that's, uh, I think, fairly a year ago now. So 39% already, that's a very uh, very quick upcoming uh, rise of this uh, title. And they also say that at the moment, the demand for data engineers is more than quadruple that for data scientists. So anybody looking at this as a potential job uh, industry for yourself? Yeah, which kind of makes sense, at yes. least to me, in that the the ratio of people that you need um, getting the data pipelines in place and, and dealing with that side of things compared to the data science on the other side, you know, that, that, that ratio would make sense to me, especially yes. as you say, is that it's a, it's a newer role. I think it's probably been around for a couple of years at this point, but well, the activity um, definitely, but the data scientists had to do it all, but the official data engineer name tag, <laughs> it, it's, it's fairly recent that they actually split out this, develop your model, optimize your model, and the put this optimized model into production uh, activities that they segregated into two different jobs, that's, uh, that's fairly new. Mm. Before that, it was all, you were a data scientist, you had to do it all. I think it's been around for a little bit longer than you think, but, but yeah, either, either way, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's definitely a role that has uh, seen a lot more prominence over mm. the last kind of 12 to 18 months. And also, don't forget the fact that uh, the big data world is still growing exponentially when you're looking at the amount of technologies and sources and destinations where you can move all the data around. It's just a bigger working workplace as ever, and more and more people are required to get it all worked out. I mean, I'm on the architectural uh, level of the whole thing, so I'm happy I have these data engineers to implement all the stupid things that I can come up with. Anyway, going on with that, because apparently Dave is not going to contradict me. Um, let's well, see. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last thing they mentioned here is that uh, a new title was coming up, the one of the machine learning engineer. And they're actually taking credit here for talking about this first. And I take, uh, how do you say that? Uh, I don't agree, because I know that we talked about this at least five months ago. So, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Maybe they copied us. I mean, you know. Uh, well, you everybody not? does. So <sighs> we're open source. We're okay with that. Just do some attribution yes, next time. So it's all collaboration. <laughs> anyway, they go into a little bit of explanation about what the differences are, and if you haven't heard about a machine learning engineer yet, um, that's actually somebody that goes in between the data engineer and the data scientist. Again, more of a specialization of those different job responsibilities. Let's say. 
And I must admit that I do see uh, potential vacancies for this role at a lot of my customers. Because the data engineer is usually too deep down into the yeah, laying pipelines and doesn't know enough machine learning to actually be able to put that in a nice container cluster or something like that. The data scientist really doesn't want to deal with that either. So there is definitely a space for this, uh, for this person. Yeah, taking it to production. Um, yeah, just having enough knowledge about the machine learning and enough knowledge about the underlying infrastructure so you can make good decisions. Because, yeah, the typical data scientist that's developing it on their laptops is still existing today. It's getting less, and cloud is something that helps there. But it's still uh, yeah, it's still prevalent. And talking about cloud, that's actually the point that I wanted to talk about. Too late, I know. But a bit further down, almost at the end, uh, they talk about the fact that... Um, it, they say, I'm going to read a little bit here. Regarding development of ML models, the results were at first glance are surprising. The most experienced organizations, the more the, the more organization is, the more likely that they wrote their own models. Only yep. 12% only start getting a feed wet uh, compared to three quarters of sophisticated groups. Um, one, I don't believe this. Uh, nobody is creating new models. Nobody is writing the new regression that's done. What machine learning, uh, what machine learning data scientists are doing, are picking the correct model for whatever they want to do. Make sure the data fits it, and then tune it with hyper hyperparameters. And that's a big job in itself, not an issue there. But if anybody today is developing their own version of gradient descent, um, I want to talk to you because you're doing something I don't understand. They also kind of. I think it it's possibly well i don't know my guess would be that 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 that's what they mean by creating new models i think um, it's a question of it's a bit of hyperbole in the uh, in the article yeah. here but the thing is that i've actually had conversations with customers where they read things like this and they're convinced that they have to create right new models and if in, mach- in neural networking it's being done but by university uh, promovendi and things like that, it's not being done in business. Exceptions do exist. I mean, I'm pretty sure that uh, I know a Facebook can start building their own emotion detection thing for the textual data they have because they have that much data and they're a bit of a company that does that kind of stuff. And uh, a Google and then a Microsoft and uh, um Apple, I guess, as well. They will probably be doing some neural network modeling of their own to do the whole translation stuff. But that's neural networking. That's TensorFlow, that's CNTK, PyTorch. That's the, that's the, that's that high-end stuff. That's still in full motion, full development. Yes. Machine learning, and don't forget, at the beginning of this article, they really segregated this machine learning as the lower tier and not this neural networking. Nobody's doing that, so they shouldn't be writing this. Fair enough. And the reason that I'm thinking that they actually do mean what they wrote is the next paragraph where they say that they suspect that with the new availability of cloud services promising to democratize AI from Amazon SageMaker to Azure ML Studio and Google Cloud AutoML, the actual proportion of internally developed models might actually drop. See, so they're really talking about the creation of those models, but it's a trained model and 
you still need to train models regardless of the tool you're using. If you're using yeah. Azure ML Studio, and this is the one I know the best because, hey, I work at Microsoft, then you will use the, the standard, uh, uh, give me one, uh, logistic regression formula, push your data in there, and then train your model. And regardless of the tool you're using, you'll be training just as much. These tools, no tools, will take away that point. You will always need to do that. Yeah, of course. And yeah, see, that's why I have a bit of uh, problems with the article. And one other thing I want to do want to mention here, and I am a Microsoft employee, so I cannot let this pass. Azure ML Studio is the low entry, easy to use, click and drag uh, machine learning environment. It's free. You can play with as much as you want to. It's fairly fun and you can do a lot of pox in there, but this is not a production tool. We have a lot better than this as an add-on in Azure. If you want to know more, send a mail to yonmarshallin at microsoft.com. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they want to, they, I have a feeling they want to push the cloud thing in there without actually having done their homework here, which is a bit of a, a, bit of a letdown. It's also not terribly unusual though, right? Let's be, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, well, we're trying to educate the world, right? So, Sure. Anyway, I think I've said enough. Uh, they end with a nice quote that uh, cloud and data science tool providers should now also take it, uh, the responsibility for improving quality and fairness of modeling, data sampling, and privacy protection. Well, yeah, I'm sure that all of these companies, including us, are doing whatever we can, but uh, some things will still need to be done by the customer, I'm afraid. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, coming back to the beginning, despite the hype, ML is in its infancy, according to to a just-published survey from O'Reilly. That's where they started this article with. Um, I guess yes and no, on the one hand. If you look at all those trillions of companies in the world, yeah, only a small percentage will actually be doing anything with this. adoption, sure. But I think that in the part of the world where it actually is being used, they're actually using it quite a bit. I mean, it's getting easier and easier with or without cloud to just... Do a linear regression, do a prediction, to a, do a recommendation engine. I mean, recommendation engines are so easy these days. The only thing you need is infrastructure. Well, I mean, that's that's what happens when uh, you get a, a lot of people trailblazing early on and yeah. you know, working out what all the all the problems were. That the the people that follow on behind get a far easier time for things. Yeah, but, what's, what's the proverb? Standing on the shoulders of the the giants that came before you. Yeah, that's why you see further. Exactly. Yeah, and for the for the ML thing. Uh, I, I mean, people reading this article might actually think, oh, God, this is still so new. I shouldn't look at this. This is only for the really high-tech uh, first adopters still. I disagree with that. I think if you want to do something with ML and you don't know anything, talk with a good partner, definitely. Yeah. But you shouldn't be afraid of this because there's different ways of doing it at different levels of costs, both in money and resources. And um, if you find something you can do with this, you shouldn't delay because uh, it's getting so pervasive at the moment. Everything is being improved by machine learning, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I rambled enough. What do you got? All right. So going going on from the, the, the depths of machine learning to training, although training around data science, which does involve a, a decent chunk of machine learning. So there was a rather nice article published um, really jointly announcing a partnership between IBM and Coursera 
launching an online data science professional certificate, including like a big gold logo and everything, Ooh. laurel leaves and all that sort of wonderful stuff. Um, so it is a it's it's an online um, self based training um, set of courses, and I I quite like it because. It's got a really, at least from from the outside looking in, mm. it's got a series of nine different courses um, that that builds up. It's free to to use. Obviously, if you want the the actual certification at the end of it, then you'll need to go through and uh, get yourself audited, um, which you can get for a so that's the graded quizzes, the assignments, and and that sort of thing. Which is a, a low cost monthly subscription of just thirty nine US dollars a month, apparently. Um, but you can run through all the course material absolutely for free. So the the learnings there is just if you want the big shiny certificate at the end of it. But it it it's runs through a really nice range of tools. So Jupiter, Zeppelin, R Studio, Watson Studio, DB two, and then on the libraries front you've got Pandas, NumPy, uh, Matlib. Matplotlib, Seaborn, Fulham, IPython, SQL, Scikit-Learn, SciPy, um, and then the different projects um, that it uses, a random uh, album generator, uh, predict housing <laughs> prices, prices even, uh, best classifier model, and battle of yeah, neighborhoods. I'm not quite one. sure what battle of neighborhoods <laughs> is all about. That sounds... That like sounds <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe sort of some sort of riot system setting up. Maybe it's like, uh, what was the... Um, uh, Game of Life, the, the the thing with the little microbes growing and dying. Yeah, I thought the, like the, the, the weapons, weapons of uh, mass data destruction you had a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, you never know. But I just think it's uh, it's it's nice to see organizations like uh, IBM obviously investing in some of this material. They've obviously uh, put some time and effort into this and working with Coursera. This kind of high quality training like this that anyone can get hold of is I think one of the one of the nicest parts of um, of where we are today this this sort of uh, training not just in big data but across mm-hmm. uh, a wide variety of different ecosystems whether it's um, uh, Coursera or I know Jan's, Jan's going to talk my ear off about EDX um, but uh, there's there's lots of great material out there. You just need to put the time and effort into uh, to work your way through some of it. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of big companies are partnering with a Coursera or an EDX, and uh, there are a couple of other ones out there as well to to, to bring yeah. their, uh, their 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 intelligence, their their knowledge to the masses. Let's say so. That's great. Now, one thing I have already learned from just reading this part, this article about the courses, is that apparently. The uh, data scientist is the sexiest job of the 21st century, as well, says by Harvard Business Review. So, wow. That's, that's I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, the one thing I do want to... I have two uh, observations here. Mm-hmm. One is it's really covering everything. So yeah. I would expect, expect this one to be relatively high level, which yeah. isn't bad. I mean, that's not a bad thing in, 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 it, in and of itself. Um, but on the other hand, the tools that they're looking at, things like Watson Studio, R Studio, those are pretty in DB2. DB2, they're very specific uh, technical tools for it. And of course, whenever you do a course, you need a tool to work with it. The one thing I always look at at these courses, whether on Coursera or on uh, EDX, whether they're done by IBM or 
Microsoft, because Microsoft is guilty of this, definitely. Um, sometimes it's a bit of a hidden marketing. So be careful on that one. I mean, it's fine yeah. if a thing like Watson Studio and our studio, they're used very much in every kind of a situation. So having knowledge about that particular apparatus is good. Yep. But make sure that when you start a course like this, that you know if it's a course on the uh, abstract general ideas around the whole thing and how to approach something, or if it's more of a how do you do this thing with this tool. And as yeah. long as your expectation is correct, then uh, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, as, as with all of these things, do your own due diligence. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, tell tell me tell me about some EDX. Yeah, because uh, again, we never discuss our articles before we do the recording. We kind of do this especially to 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 annoy each other. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a similar something, but from the EDX side, which is uh, I'm going to say a comp- competitor for EDX, although they're both giving out free courses. So I'm not sure how much competition you can actually call that. But what I was going to talk about is uh, the MicroMaster on artificial intelligence that's being run by Columbia X, which is the Columbia University of uh, New York, I think. I think we're in New York somewhere. I don't know. It's in the US. It's far away. I don't care. It's a MOOC, so I don't (laughs) have to care. And the reason I want to talk about it is I'm going to take them. Apparently, it's a four-course MicroMaster. They have a first course on artificial intelligence, a second one on machine learning, a third one on robotics, and a fourth one on animation and CGI motion, which is a bit further away from the other three, but, well, still could be fun. These are starting on the 17th September, and I'm going to be taking the artificial intelligence and the robotics one. I'm going to skip the machine learning one, because, well, to be honest, I, I probably take a look at it but i don't expect much new in there for me but uh, the other two seem interesting so if anybody else out there is uh, thinking of taking these as well uh, reach out and uh, maybe we'll put up a study group or something indeed study with yon <laughs> oh god I've, I've, <laughs> I've never driven anybody to suicide yet well it's first time for everything <laughs> Anyway, we'll have links in the show notes, but uh, it's kind of fun to see that you come up with the Coursera link and I come up with the EDX links. I mean, there's so much knowledge up for grabs at the moment. You can yeah. just go out there and um, learn so much. And uh, yeah, the reason I'm going for these two is I've been uh, roped into a neural network project at a customer. And it turns out that I don't know as much as I, did, I thought I knew, so... Let's, well, uh, let's now's the that. perfect perfect opportunity to find out more. Yeah, because that's actually a, a, a good, some good advice, maybe from uh, from me. Uh-huh. Um, if you want to learn something, you can just do it as an academic exercise, which is fun, and you you will have some extra intelligence from there. But if you don't use it, don't do anything with it, don't have any practical application at that moment, it's very hard for me, at least, to retain it. So if you have uh, an opportunity in your job or hobby or whatever you're doing to do something on a, on a field where you don't really know enough, taking a course with one of these MOOCs or other resources out there at that same time, that really helps to solidify the, the, the intelligence, the knowledge, the, the information in your brain, I think. I find. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. So, uh, yeah, either go with the IBM uh, everything, the, the theory of everything, or some more specific ones on EDX. Or something else entirely. Indeed. Choice abundant. Speaking of choice, how would you choose between a bunch of different technologies? I mean, of course, you'd you'd benchmark them, (laughs) wouldn't you? (laughs) Okay, apparently Dave decides we have enough time to make this a 
big bite-sized big data. Sure. Fair enough. Uh, but let's not dwell too far on it. But, uh, yep, I found an article with benchmarks, and we don't usually like benchmarks, but... This one triggered me for two reasons. The first reason is that it's about something I didn't know it existed. And it's called MR3, which apparently is an execution engine you can put below Hive. And it, depending on which part of their website you read, it can either replace or be underneath Tez. But it does replace MapReduce, uh, which is strange because Tez also replaces MapReduce. But they have a little graphical on their page where you have their MR3 and then Tez and then Hive. Although LLAP cannot work with MR3. So it's a bit of, um, yeah, I haven't really been able to grok most of it. And that's also a bit uh, aggravated by the fact that there's not that much information available. Now, this Mm. is not open source. Uh, If you click on their links, you'll see that it's a binary distribution. So that's also a bit strange. Because at the same time, I found a GitHub repository where apparently their source code does reside. Now, it's only a two-person team at the moment, at least only two committers on that GitHub. not entirely sure if that's um, correct or not, because maybe a lot of people are working on it and these two just push it up to GitHub. I don't know. Just to give an idea that this is not a huge thing like uh, Spark from Databricks. It uh, seems a lot smaller in scope. But, and now we come back to the uh, benchmarks, apparently they have a benchmark that indicates that MR3 could well be a nice uh, replacement for Spark and um, Tez and all the rest. On the one hand, I like how they started their benchmark because they actually acknowledge things like uh, the hardware employed in the benchmark may favor, favor certain systems. and as, as does the data. Exactly. So they're doing they're setting the right tone at the start. They're putting their stuff on two uh, different sides of clusters, a small cluster of high memory nodes and a bigger cluster with low memory nodes. And then they're going to run the TCP, HCD, whatever the acronym is, I always mispronounce it, uh, benchmark on that. And then they're going to talk about the results and compare and contrast. However, they do uh, make some bad decisions, in my opinion, when they start talking about the different SQL on Hadoop systems to compare because they're comparing, whoops, I just did something with my screen I shouldn't have done, that's better. They're comparing Hive LAP with Presto, with Spark SQL, and then Hive with Tez and Hive with MR3. But some of these are running on uh, Hadoop 3, some of these are running on Hadoop 2.7, some of these are running on Hadoop 2.6.5, LA, sorry, 4. LAP, for example, is the, the default version from HTTP 264, which has, I looked it up and I wrote it down, uh, and I do the same bad thing with my screen again. <laughs> Stop doing it. Yes, I've I moved to the side now. It's going to be better now. That's Hive 2.1.0. So they're actually comparing LAP with an old version of Hive with their solution with the newest version of Hive. And when you're talking versions of Hive, the things that change are adoption, adoption of SQL syntax and optimization, performance yeah. increases. Yeah. If you're going to do a performance benchmarks, use the same version of stuff as much as you can. 
also, or, mm-hmm. or or the latest versions of, of of everything, rather than older versions of some things and newer versions of others. You know? Well, I don't care if you do newer or old version. I mean, new would be better, but sometimes that's impossible. But use the same version so you can compare things. Make sure that the yeah. only differences between your different data points are the thing you're trying to measure. Yeah. And they also say here that uh, Hive 3.0 is officially supported only at Hope 3, so we have modified source code as to make it run on Hadoop 2.7. So they're not even able to compare it with a call it production version of uh, Hive 3.0. So they've made some serious flaws there, I think, which really, for me, invalidate much of their benchmark. That being said, I still read on. And I didn't get any happier than that. And I told uh, <laughs> Dave before we did this recording that he would have to stop me from ranting here a bit. <laughs> He's not doing his job. <laughs> so I'm, final I'm, ra- Sorry. I'm 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 going to cut you off at some point, but for now, keep going. Okay, Aaron and E. Uh, next thing I have a problem with is that uh, how they configured their stuff. Because um, LLAP, they left a default configuration. Presto, they did after performance tuning. Spark SQL, default con- uh, default configuration, and their MR3 thing as we normally deploy it. Same thing here. Either optimize all different things so they can run at their possible best, and you will never be able to do that because you will know some technologies better than others. So maybe best just leave them default. Although if you compare it to your own thing, well, your own thing is always going to be optimized, right? So that's an annoying one. But yeah, yeah. and, and I, I think mean, actually the, this the really only, is the only way results. that you can the only way that you can even hope to improve over that is is by actually inviting like every organization who is involved yep. in each of the technologies to participate, which no one has the, the time or effort or honestly inclination to do. Yeah, so. I would say the guts to do. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that too. Yes, uh, anyway, going on to that, we finally come into the solutions. And I think all of the negatives we just talked about actually really come to the forefront when you look at the results here, because apparently... LLAP Hive can only do like 50% of the TCPCD uh, queries, which I know for a fact is not true because I've seen benchmarks where they did all of them. Yeah. Now, what they're saying is could not do because did not finish or crashed. And when does MapReduce crash? When it doesn't have enough resources or you don't give it enough time. And then LLAP, it's a caching mechanism. If you put that on a low memory architecture or just keep the default and don't use default uh, queries, which a benchmark usually isn't, you will fall over. So this first graph of number of completed queries, where of course their solution performs brilliantly and nobody else does, uh, they don't explain anything. And for me, this just means bad configuration, bad versions, bad optimization and bad hardware footprints. I, you, you can't take any other. Do you can you take any other conclusion from this? Not really. Um, the only thing that I would say is that I do out of this entire thing. The thing that I do quite like is I do like the way that they visualize the results. Now, <laughs> I would I, I will say that they visualization to, man. Yeah. To be fair. It took me uh, took me a few minutes. Well, not quite a few minutes, but it took me a little while to 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 understand exactly what they were trying to portray. So it's not great, but once I understand how they were laying the the results out, and 
it's actually a quite a, a nice way that where you can see you know large blocks of of dark green yeah are, but you're talking about number three and we're still at number one man yeah i know i know but <laughs> this is it, him cutting me off <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much i mean it, it just <sighs> benchmarks lies and statistics it's mm. all it's all it's all kind of fundamentally flawed do your own testing as much as you can i mean look at look at benchmarks for guidance sure um but don't just rely on one one benchmark look at a number of them you know take an average of them and decide what you want to do and then do your own testing with your own hardware footprint your own data and your own uh, your own analytics because really that's all that matters. It, you know, the results that come out of some sort of synthetic benchmark, yeah, you know, maybe they can give you an indication of, of what direction to look at. But yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't treat this as gospel. Yeah, you're totally right, actually, because the reason that I picked this article was for these visualizations, because the first time I saw a visualization where you could actually see every single query compared with the other targets. And then when I started to investigate the article further, that, that's when all of the flaws popped up, let's say. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's it's a visualization thing that actually gives you the best, uh, the nicest way of looking at it. It's very, I think it's very intuitive to just see which yeah. one is the winner, which is the the loser there. Unfortunately, MR three is pretty much the loser across the board, although their conclusion is different. Sorry, I didn't say that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a nice way of looking at it. And if nothing else, it does show you that uh, there are more than one ways of uh, doing things. Yeah, very much so. Which is the big uh, force, the big, the big advantage of open source, let's say, where just everybody can, with a good idea can uh, see how good he can make his idea. And apart from that, uh, I have never heard of MR3 before. I haven't seen it in any distribution yet. But apparently, even with the low amount of uh, people behind it, they are able to at least perform reasonably in in in, in the same league let's say as the rest it would seem so although one of their conclusions was that spark sql is the slowest of all which is very remarkable but anyway something maybe to keep an eye on and see how they evolve in future and uh, see if they actually go uh, full open source instead of the silly thing of doing binary only releases come on <laughs> and that's it from yon on that <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I've been and properly shut it up. Yeah, arrow to the knee for you. Right, in that case, unless there's anything else? Uh, no, don't my ranting. <laughs> <laughs> then that is all the time we have today. Hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, but until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information about us, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and contact us by email on podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is Jon. And we look forward to talking to you next week.